Say, oh, there's a lot of faces I don't recognize. We actually have some guests from other churches that are here joining us from H2O. There's an H2O up north that we like to give a little bit of a hard time. Um, it starts with a T. H2O Toledo. I'll just say it for the gospel. All right, they're here. Um, uh, so I'm going to invite their pastors up real quick. H2O Akron, uh, Chad Frank, and H2O Wright State. And as those guys are coming up, um, we just want you to know, as you are part of what God is doing here at Bowling Green, uh, God isn't just working here, but we're part of, of a larger network. Uh, about 10 years ago, we had this vision to start a, a network of H2O churches that would focus uh, originally on every major campus in the state of Ohio, and, and beyond that, we're hoping to expand now. So in the last 10 years, we were one church of about 200 people, about this size here in Bowling Green, and now we have 10 different churches of about 2,000 people all together around uh, the state of of Ohio and beyond. So it's pretty awesome and pretty exciting to be a part of. So we just wanted to honor these guys really quickly since they're here in town, and we want to uh, just hear a quick word from each of them uh, so that they can talk to their students and let us know what they're excited about from this year. And one of the things that I love and one of the great blessings that I, that I feel in doing ministry is just the relationships. And as I look at the three men that are up here, um, I can say like they've just been a huge part of my life and it's so awesome to serve together. So I wanted to quickly let you hear from them as we get on with this service this morning. Yeah, good morning. My name is Matt Olszewski. I am one of the pastors at H2O Toledo. All right, yeah, yeah. So something that we are really excited about is that... Um, Jesus had a, had a way of putting things very simply, and one of the things that he told all of us to do that follow Jesus is to love God and love others as we love ourselves, and as we're thinking about what that means for us at Toledo, we just, we kind of stumbled upon a short, simple saying that Jesus had already said, but we just kind of rephrased it, and we said, our mission here at Toledo is to love God and love rockets. And all last year, we just kept shouting that battle cry and honestly really having no clue what that meant for us. But we knew that that's what we wanted. Um, and this year, uh, we're going to start putting that love God, love rockets into action, taking in intentional steps to be on campus more, to loving the rockets and the students at UT. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the creativity and the activity that our students put forth in making that love God, love rockets become a reality. Awesome. That's sweet. My name's Chad Frank. I'm a pastor of H2O Akron. And uh, I'm really excited about this year. Uh, I really think that we are on the, just the precipice of, of some cool things. Uh, we're two years in as a church plant, one year in as far as being public, um, but God's really expanding our area of influence. Um, number one, we're going from two RAs on campus to six which is pretty significant. And because of that, we're actually expanding our, our, our groups from three to five, and uh, we're going to be in two brand new dorms we've never been in as far as groups, and so we're just excited about that. Um, we're also expanding into the athletic realm. I was actually appointed a, an assistant chaplain for the football team, and so we're going to take it from the football team to hopefully the whole campus uh, this year. So a lot of things going on, but we're just excited. We're just on the, on the very beginning edge of, I think, some really cool things. So it's H2O Akron. My name is Josh Ortega. I'm with H2O Wright State, and um, we're just really stoked about what God has in store for this upcoming year. We're the babies as far as church plants go, and uh, with H2O, 
And it's just amazing to see God move the way he's moved. And like you could feel the water starting to stir for a wave when you're about to surf it. It's the same thing. Like you're just right there on the cusp of seeing something like amazing happen. And we see all of our community coming together to ride this wave. And we're reaching, we're going to start reaching Greek life. And just amazing. I mean, you just do what God's called you to do. Simple obedience changes history. And so if God's calling you, like, just take that step of faith and see what God can do because he wants to change the world through you. Man, thanks, Josh. It's, if you couldn't tell, Josh is originally from California. He's a surfer. He actually is a surfer. So uh, that, that analogy worked well for him. But, hey, I, we love these guys, and I, I feel like, honestly, they're heroes of the faith. It's not easy to go out and plant churches. We planted Toledo five years ago, Akron two years ago, Wright State this last year, and they are just simply following God, and it's so awesome to be a part of, and I love the synergy that we have as a network. So we just wanted you to see their faces so that you could be praying for them as they're going into an important season of, of time as well. So with that being said, I want to invite you guys as well to go ahead and stand up and say hi to somebody, get to know somebody new here at H2O as we get prepared for the message. All right. Well, uh, here at, at Bowling Green, at H2O Bowling Green, uh, we are a church for the campus and for the city of Bowling Green, which is really exciting, and we love the fact that we have this downtown venue so that we can invite people who aren't just students at the university, but who are also city members here uh, to, to worship with us and to be part of our church family. But at the forefront of what we do, we are passionate about reaching students, every single one of us. And so as you sit here, you can know that whether you're directly involved with reaching students or whether this is kind of the main place that you come to worship, either way, you're making an impact and you're very present even here, it speaks something to college students for them to see families and people who are maybe empty nesters in all different phases of life being able to come here and worship together. And we love that vision of seeing us continue to grow together, both the campus and the city. But it's interesting because this time of year, we start to get laser focus on what's going on over there on this side of town. Uh, on Thursday, there will be thousands of new students that are moving in. It's also the first day of Bowling Green uh, City Schools and the Tractor pool this weekend, all right? I feel like they should plan that out better. It's like everything that ever happens in this town happens in a four-day span. It's kind of weird. But uh, so it's a big week for many of us. And, and as we think about being a church that's focused on college students, uh, oftentimes people ask like, why are you so passionate about college students? Why do you love reaching the campus? I've had people ask me that, you know, is it just that you love young people so much? I've even had other pastors say like, hey, you know, college students actually don't give that much money and sometimes they're kind of a pain. Like maybe you should think about not focusing on them so much and focusing on other people. But honestly, for us, it is the heartbeat of who we are. And so we feel like it's important, especially this time of year, as we're ramping up, to share a little vision behind why that's important, as well as kind of hopefully engage all of us to make an impact right where God has us. I want to start off with sharing a story. I shared it yesterday at our Blitz conference that I think illustrates why we're so passionate about reaching young people and in particular, college students. You're going to have to go on a little bit of a journey with me. This story takes place over 200 years ago, all right? And so kind of use your imagination. It's, it's about 200 years ago and uh, the, the year about 1800. And God is starting to do some things in our nation. Uh, we, we had the first great awakening, and now we're moving on, and we're, we're in this period where the second great awakening, if you ever study your history books, is starting to get ramped up. And God is starting to stir on people's hearts something exciting, something powerful, and, and God is 
is working. But up until that point in 1800, even though many people were coming to know Christ, even though churches abounded in our nation, we had never sent out a missionary to go overseas. We'd never sent somebody overseas to take the gospel to a place that hadn't heard of or experienced Jesus. And so God started to stir in the hearts of some college students this idea that maybe, maybe God wanted them to be part of making a change that would affect the world. It was a a Saturday afternoon in August 1806 at Williams College out in Massachusetts, and these five freshman guys met together every Saturday to pray and to talk about God's word. Their names were Samuel Mills, James Richardson, Francis Robinson, Harvey Looms, and Byram Green. And so it was just this normal Saturday where they were getting together and to pray and study God's word. And as they were praying, they're out in this field, and this massive storm rolled in. This massive thunderstorm rolled in. And so they, they had to take off. They had to get out of the field. They were exposed to the, the elements. And so they ran, and they hid under a haystack. I don't even know what that looks like, but that's what they did. That's what history says. They hid somehow under this haystack. And as they were kind of huddled together under this haystack, they continued to pray, and they continued to seek God. And as they were kind of huddled together in that moment, God began to lay on each of their hearts that he was calling them to start a missionary sending movement that would change the world. And they came out from, from underneath the haystack, and, and just that storm kind of, God used it somehow to, to lay on the heart the brevity of, of life and, and how important it was to live for him, and they committed together, we are going to do something that the world has never seen before. Pretty bold for a bunch of 18-year-olds, isn't it? And so they started gathering people together, they started raising funds, they started you know, talking to different churches, and a lot of people told them, you're crazy. You're crazy. There's, there's way too much work to do here. God's doing stuff here. Why would we send people over to other nations? But they said, you know what? We do have work to do here, but there's also people who've never heard of Jesus. And so that is what God is calling us to do, and we're going to start a missionary movement. So a few years later, there was a, a gathering of a bunch of people in Salem, Massachusetts. Maybe you've heard of Salem. You know, it's where the witch trials were. And, uh, and the first group of missionaries ever recorded from the United States, was about to be sent out. And as they were sitting there, one of the couple's names was Anne and Adoniram Judson. And and Anne and Adoniram had this funny story. Adoniram had this this crazy conversion experience, and they were in college, and Adoniram knew that he was going to go overseas uh, as a missionary before he knew that he was going to marry Anne. And so he was about ready to propose to her. He said, but just so you know, if you marry me, we're going to go overseas, and you may never see your family or this nation again. Do you want to sign up for that? That's an interesting proposal, right? And, uh, and, And she said, yeah, I do. And so uh, customary during that time, and still to this day, guys, probably just a little, you know, hint for you. It's probably good, especially if the situation's right, to talk to the dad, right? I actually have my in-laws who are here today, and I remember sitting down and and having that conversation with them. Hey, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? And thankfully, I tricked them enough that they said yes, and uh, and, and it worked out well. They were super gracious. So, So Adoniram, he writes this letter to Anne's dad asking for her hand in marriage. Listen to this letter. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. Started off pretty good, okay? That's, that's pretty normal. And then he says this, to see her no more in this world. <laughs> whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to hardship and to the sufferings of missionary life. 
Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress and detrigation and insult and persecution, and perhaps a violent death. <laughs> can I marry your daughter? That's what it's going to be. Thankfully, you know, he continued on. He says, can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home, who died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from the heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. <laughs> that was his request to marry this man's daughter. And so Anne's father was pretty progressive for his time because his friend said, no possible way. Chain her up to the house. They literally said that. There's letters that have written, you should chain your daughter to the house and not let her go with this lunatic. But Anne's father said, I'm going to let her decide. I'm going to let her decide what she wants to do. And Anne said, I've already said yes. I've said yes to God. And so they got married, and they jumped on a ship, and they went over to southern India, Burma now. And, and guess what happened to them? The same thing that happened to everybody who was alive in 1800. They died. <laughs> they, they actually died. Not only that, they died on the mission field. He, he died on a boat. She died in southern India of disease. But in the meantime, we can trace back the fact that there are two million Christians now in Burma that had never heard the gospel before because they planted seeds of the gospel and one person heard it and another person heard it and it started to spread and now we can look back and say their lives were not wasted. They died just like everybody else did during that time. There's nobody alive from 1800 still to this day, but their lives were leveraged for the gospel. And, and, and we look back on that story and we hear the story of them. We hear the story of these five young freshmen who prayed to have this movement of God and they literally changed the course of history. They leveraged your life for Jesus. That's why we're passionate about reaching young people. Do you know and this isn't a rip on any of us who are old because I'm not young anymore. Do you know that every movement of God in our nation has started with young people? The first great awakening, the second great awakening, the Jesus movement. Anytime where God did something kind of miraculous that we look back on and say there is some type of revival, something crazy going on. It started with young people and in particular it started with college students. Even think about our world. Think about some of the, the technological advances that have, that have changed the history of our world. Think about like Facebook. How much has Facebook changed the world? I remember when there was no Facebook, right? It was a different world. It was started by a college student. Young people have amazing amount of influence and we're passionate about reaching them because we believe if we can reach the campus we can reach the world it's not just a tagline it's not just a slogan it's happened before and that's why we're so passionate about it 
And so as we come together today and we're going to open up God's Word, I want to look at a passage in, in the book of Luke. And this passage is a time where Jesus is gathering together these 72 followers that he has at this point in his ministry, and he's going to send them out to do ministry, kind of like many of us are about to get sent out at our different campuses, whether it's Toledo or Wright State or Akron or right here at Bowling Green. We're about to be sent out into the most strategic 10 days of the whole year for us, and Jesus is gathering his disciples together. Together, and he's about to send them out. And I want to take note of what Jesus has to say during this time and what happens. But I want to give you the big idea as we dive into this passage for you to be thinking about as we're looking at it together. And the big idea is this, that our reward is not in results, but in relationship with Jesus. So our reward for the ministry that we do, our reward for the mission that we are a part of is not in the results of what actually happens, but it's in the relationship with Jesus. As we think about those missionaries that God sent overseas, their primary reward was their obedience to God. It wasn't the fact that there's two million believers there. That's a cherry on top of the ice cream. But the primary reward was their walk with God. So our reward is not in the results that happen over the next month of ministry that we might do, but it's in our relationship with Jesus. So let's open up to Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'd love for you to read along with me. If not, you can follow along on the screen as well. It says this. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him, to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. And I want to stop there as we're going to continue through this passage and pull out the first point, and it's this, that we need workers that we need workers. Jesus very clearly says, if you want to follow me, there's a difference between being a consumer and a contributor. And true followers of Jesus are actually contributors to the mission. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. Look at all these people who need to hear about me, who want to hear about me. God's written it on their heart already. And he's saying to his, his disciples who are there at that moment, and he's saying to us still today, listen, I want you to be part of that. I want you to be part of making an impact. I want you to be a contributor. Jesus doesn't say pray for converts, pray for more people to come. He says pray for workers to come. Isn't that an interesting reality to think about? Jesus says, listen, if you want to pray, the harvest is already out there. People are going to come to know me. What we need isn't more people to get converted. We need workers who are willing to go out and plant those seeds so that we can harvest them. And that's one of the things I love about this church. I was, I was talking with, with a handful of people even before the service and like just looking around and many of you who came back for this Bliss Conference and just seeing people. I love that so many of you are committed to not just being consumers, not just coming here and saying, you know, give me a product, give me a religious product for me to consume, but instead saying, I want to be a contributor. I want to be a worker. I want to be part of this mission that God has for us because, listen, the reward is in the, the richness and the depth that comes from our walk with God in those moments of serving him. And it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. So, listen, the harvest is plentiful, but not only is the harvest plentiful, the needs are extremely great as well. If you look at our, our world, and I think it's so important on a day like today to address this, there's so much brokenness. 
so much pain, so much hurt. If you follow the news at all, this last 48 hours have been really horrible, honestly, for, for our nation. The, the Charlottesville, Virginia episode where, where there was just this, this, this rally that was, that was completely despicable. And, and then in a protest rally, uh, somebody from literally Maumee, Ohio, 15 miles away, drove a car into a group of people and killed somebody. And it was all done because of racism and hate and bigotry. How sad is that? How despicable is that? And of course, as a church, we condone that in the strong, or we don't condone that in the strongest possible way. Jeez, that's like the easiest layup in the world, right? Of course, it's disgusting. How, how could you ever, how could you ever look at that? And what's even, even worse and what's even more sad is that some people on the side of the, the alt-right actually use the name of Christ, use Christianity, some in some distorted, messed up way, to somehow try to justify their beliefs, and it's sick, and it's saddening. And as a church, we have to stand up against it. And there's other types of brokenness in our world all over. It, it, it's on and on and on because sin has consequences. And Jesus says, listen, you can be part of the remedy. You can be part of the solution. And we believe wholeheartedly that the gospel is the only hope that this world has. You see, racism, hate, sin, they are anti-gospel. They're anti-Christ. They're the opposite of those of us who are followers of Christ and what we need to do and proclaim and talk about. And so we can be part of bringing the gospel to a lost, hurting, and broken world. We can partner on mission to God, and it's such a beautiful thing. So let's jump back in and, and let's see what else Jesus has to say to his followers here. He's getting ready to send them out. Here's his instructions. He says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone promotes peace there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for a worker deserves his wage. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town, you are welcome there. Eat what they offer you. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near. But when you enter a town and you're not welcome there, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. And be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Crazon. Woe to you, Basidia. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyrene and Sidon, then they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyrene and Sidon on the judgment day than you. And you, Capernaum, you will be lifted into the heavens. No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listen to this, Verse 16, whoever listens to you listens to me, but whoever rejects me, also, or whoever rejects you also rejects me, the one who sent you. So listen, the second thing is this, it's not about us. When we're doing ministry, when we're serving God, it's not about us. Some of us, we can be tempted to be what I like to call a glory thief. You know, when we do ministry, or when we serve somebody or when we do something kind for somebody, we kind of want the glory for ourselves, don't we? You know, we don't mind if people notice. We don't mind if people say, oh, that's such a great guy or that's such a great girl. But listen, it's not about us. And it's not about us when things go great and things go amazing, but it's also not about us when there's rejection because ministry has both of those things. 
There are times when those of us who are going to be out serving on campus or inviting somebody, or, or maybe you in your work situation or, or, or at school, you invite somebody and, and they might reject you. Listen, it's not about you. That's okay. It shouldn't stop us from putting ourselves out there. Rejection is something that's hard to deal with for many of us, isn't it? It's something that it just kind of hits a squishy spot in a lot of us. But Jesus is giving us this comfort that, listen, it's not so much about you, but it's about me. If they reject you, they reject me. If they accept you, they accept me. You know, it was, um, it was interesting. My daughter, she's in fifth grade, and uh, some of us here, we have fifth graders. And um, at fifth grade, they have a camp that you send your kids away to, like within the first couple of weeks of school. And it's a couple hundred dollars. And so one of the things that they do to offset the, the couple hundred dollar cost is you can sell these raffle tickets uh, to, to make up for the $200 if you don't want to pay for it all out of your pocket. So Allison, my daughter, she comes home from school one day and uh, she's got all these raffle tickets. And she's like, Dad, I want to go sell these raffle tickets so that, you know, we don't have to pay for my camp out of our pocket. And I'm like, okay. And, uh, and I'm like, well, how do you want to do it? You know, and she's like, I want to go door to door and ask people to buy these tickets. I'm like, all right, you're, you know, you're pretty brave. You're pretty bold. And so she's like, I'm pretty nervous, though. You know, I don't know what I'll do if somebody says no. I don't know what, maybe somebody will be mad that I ask them. And so I said, no, you know, listen, I'll go with you, Allison. We'll go walk around and knock on the different doors. And, 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 and people aren't going to be mad at you. You know, there's no way anybody will ever be mad at you. Um, people love that you're taking initiative. And, of course, everybody, not everybody will say yes. Not everybody will be able to buy a ticket. But, but no one's going to be rude or, or mad or mean, right? And so I'm like, just, just trust me. It'll be fine. So we start going around the neighborhood, knocking on doors. Probably even had a couple neighbors here that bought some. Thank you for that, by the way. Um, and so uh, we're asking people, and, uh, and hey, are you interested? And everything's going great. And they're, even the people who can't, you know, give her uh, money for a ticket, they're like, oh, that's great. That's, you keep it up, you know. Go, keep going, honey. That's cute. And so, uh, so we're, we're going around. So we get to like the end of our neighborhood, and we start to get to a section where we don't know people as well. But there's this one house where I, this couple that, that I know they're involved with the school system. So I'm like, let's go knock on their door. So we go knock on their door, and uh, Allison goes up, and, and the guy kind of looked a little startled. He comes up to the door, and uh, she's like, "Hi, I'm Allison Wiles. Uh, I'm selling tickets for my fifth grade camp. Are you interested in buying any?" And he looks at her. He's like. No, shuts the door and walks away back into the house. I'm like, oh, okay. I think we just woke him up. It's all right. I'm not mad at him anyway. But it, it, was, it was this interesting experience where I, my daughter had to deal with like this rejection. And, and, and it's not fun to have a, a door kind of slammed in your face, is it? it? It's not fun to feel like you offended somebody or, or made them mad. But Jesus says, listen, you can take the burden off yourself. And just like I was walking home with Allison, I said, listen, don't worry about that. He's probably having a bad day. It was no big deal. Maybe he misunderstood you. Maybe you woke up for a nap. And she said, okay, I feel better about it. Jesus has kind of given us that same permission to say, listen, it's not about you. You're on mission with me. And so be bold. Take risk. Share about me. And you might be amazed at what's going to happen. And we can jump back in. Last part of this passage. Verse 17 says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample snakes and scorpions and overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Listen to this, verse 20. 
However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submitted to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's pretty powerful. Third, Jesus is the reward. Jesus is the reward. Picture these disciples. They're doing the most amazing ministry they could have ever done. You know, during that time, there was, there was demons that were, were affecting people. There, there were sicknesses. And as they were going out to do ministry, they were healing people. They were literally like, you know, they had to feel like superheroes. They were like healing people that were sick. There was like this immediate change that was going on. It was powerful. And people were coming to know Christ. And they come back to Jesus, and they're on the top of the world. I know I would be. But Jesus says, all that's fine. All that's great. But listen, don't. Rejoice in the results. Rejoice in your walk with me. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. And as I think about that for myself, and as I think about that for our church, it inspires me. You know, I read this section every fall to myself because I can be the type of person, and there's nothing wrong with this. We love inviting new people in. We love when the church is full. We love when we start the campus service on the ballroom, and there's five, six, seven, eight hundred people that come and are involved in H2O. And it's fun, and it's exhilarating, and it's exciting. But listen, Jesus says, don't get your priorities mixed up. That's a byproduct. You don't need to feel bad about that. But keep your eyes fixed on me. I'm the reward. The results will take care of themselves. You, you be faithful, but I'm the reward. You know, back to my kids, every year, my kids, they love to help with like Blitz Week stuff over on campus, and, uh, and, and so this last year, we were getting ready to do water bottles, and uh, that's on Thursday when all the students move in, we give out like five or 6,000 water bottles. It's like this big production if you've never seen us do it. So we get up at 5.30 in the morning, and we throw 5,000 water bottles in a bunch of different trucks, and we pour ice on, and so my kids were begging me to go and do water bottles, and I was like, guys, I really don't know because they had school still that morning and they're like no dad please let us go I'm like all right and so they got up at 5 30 in the morning last year and they were just ready to go they were chipper those of you who were there you know they were throwing water bottles in the truck they were doing all this manual labor and they were so excited to be part of what we were doing you know, and as I think about that, you know, I, I think about the reality of why they were so pumped to do it. And, of course, they love, you know, reaching students. But what they really wanted to do, bottom line, is they wanted to hang out with Dad, right? Like, they wanted to go to work with Dad. Maybe you got that experience when you were a kid, to, to go to work with Dad. There's something cool about hanging out with your dad and going to work with him and getting to see what he does because it deepens your intimacy and your relationship with him. My kids were excited to go to work with Dad. And as we go into this season of doing ministry, I want all of us to have that mindset. As you're at work and you're sharing with people, or you're talking to people, or you're inviting somebody to H2O, I want you just to think, God, I'm just partnering with you right now. Any type of ministry I do, it's like going to work with Dad. And the results, they're fine. Of course we want people to respond positively, but they may not. But listen, it doesn't matter because we're just going to work with Dad, and it's deepening our walk with him. And the reward is our connection with Jesus. To be on mission with him, there is nothing greater. Whether nobody shows up or whether thousands of people show up, the reward 
is our faithfulness to our God who loves us, who died for us, who went to the cross for us. So he says, your names are written in the book of life. And so that's our closing challenge. Can he say that of you? As we look around the room, you know, can you say, I'm confident that my name is written in the book of life. And what that means is to say and to come to God and say, God, I want to confess that I have sin in my life. I have brokenness in my life. And I need a remedy to that sin. And the only remedy is the gospel, the cross of Jesus, who came to this earth, who left heaven, who lived a perfect life, and went and died for our sins, and now makes that remedy available to us when we put our faith and trust in him. And so if we're here, and maybe we haven't said, God, I surrender. I I, I give up. God, I want to follow you. The challenge is, is today the day that we can say, rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. And if it is, if it is, let's press into that. Let's go to work with dad over these next 30 days. Let's look for opportunities to share the love of Christ with every person we come into contact with, whether it's on campus or whether it's in the city. Let's allow God to use us because it's a great, amazing blessing. So I'm going to pray and ask the band to come up and we're going to close with some worship.